Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of What in the Wellness. As always, I love to hear your feedback, suggestions for new topics, questions that you would like answered, maybe even a guest that you would like to have on, or maybe you'd like to be the guest yourself. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach me by email or message. Uh, You guys know where to do that. Now, let's get started for today's episode. In this episode, I get to talk with an amazing doula, Melissa Schultz, and we discuss everything about postpartum. Um, Well, not everything, because there's a whole lot to cover in postpartum, but we discuss a lot of things. We answer questions about postpartum, like why is preparing for postpartum important? What can we do to prepare for postpartum? What elements of the postpartum stage are often overlooked? How can spouses and partners support the postpartum mom? And what does she wish that she had done differently postpartum? And our main topic that we're going to cover is preparing for postpartum life, because it's one of the most impacting life stages for women. I thoroughly enjoy this interview. I can't wait to discuss uh, more with her in future episodes and also with other doulas that I have contact with, because this is such an important part of most women's lives. The statistics for women that are going to have children at some point in their lives is overwhelmingly the majority. And postpartum preparation and postpartum care is has always been important and is getting the recognition that it finally deserves um, in more modern times. And I really appreciate the conversations that people are having, um, not just about pelvic floor and the core restoration and the physical toll that the body takes, but the mental and emotional toll and support that it takes as well. I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation, so let's go ahead and get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of What in the Wellness. I'm Ansley Knopf, and with me today I have a phenomenal guest. Her name is Melissa Schultz. Her business is Strong Birth Journeys, and she's a certified birth doula with Dona International. She's also a CLC, has her spinning baby certification. She's a quaff diaper educator, and she loves helping moms feel empowered as they transition from pregnancy to newborn life. She's also a fellow professional with the Augusta Birth Collective here in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, Melissa, you're amazing. I'm so glad that you're here to talk with us today. Anything I missed or anything you'd like for us, our listeners, to know about you before we get started today? Hey, sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. First of all, Ansley, I'm really excited to get to talk with you and your listeners here today. Thank you so much for that. Um, Yes. So those are um, my professional interests as it relates to our topic today. And I am also a mom myself of two kids. I have a seven-year-old son and our daughter is going to be six next week. And um, we live that wild ride of having kids super close together. Um, So I feel like that really sort of informed (laughs) my motherhood journey and interests as they related to the professional aspect of birth work and postpartum work and played into a lot of what I teach my clients now. So that's the life stage I'm in at this point. Awesome. Now, how long have you been in Augusta and how long have you been a doula? I've been in Augusta for 10 years. I was living in North Carolina before Augusta. I went to grad school there and I was working met my husband while I lived in North Carolina, and he already was here in Augusta. He's a civilian at Fort Gordon, and his job does not move easily, so I did (laughs) when we got (laughs) married, (laughs) and I have been a doula for five years now, and I've attended almost 80 births. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It is a cool part of the job. Like, it, it adds up fast, you know, in that first year, I think, I attended 13 births in 13 months of my first year of being a doula. And it seems like such a small number then. And now I look back at it, just one birth at a time, you know, it adds up and there's so many different scenarios that you see. Um, nothing's ever the exact same twice. Um, and you learn something new at a lot of births. I will say that, but it's been helpful to see a lot of different scenarios at this point. Do you have a most, like what a most memorable birth? Was there something that just, sticks out in your mind as, as a more, one of the more memorable, I mean, they're all memorable. They're all yeah. beautiful and precious and amazing, but, um, 
maybe something, I don't know, maybe comical that happened or something that you think of very fondly? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. That it's almost hard to pick from that treasure trove because there's so many great moments. Um, okay. One of my, one of my favorite ones, I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but one that just was particularly precious to me was a mom who um, she really wanted to try to give birth naturally. But she was also of the mindset where she was like, I'm not going to be mad at myself if I get an epidural. I'm more than happy to say, I'll get the epidural if I feel like I hit my limit. But she was really into CrossFit and a little internal competitive. And so she was like, you know, I just kind of want to see where I can go with this. I said, okay, sounds like a great plan, you know? And we get into the birth and we're going along and she's laboring beautifully and gets to the point where it's time to push. And she's like, I'm still doing it. And I was like, yeah, you're still doing it. And her doctor walks in and says, well, I'd like you in this position because that's easier for me. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad we know who's important here. And, <laughs> and uh, we worked out what we need to work out. And mom, <laughs> pushes, mom pushes out this baby beautifully without pain medications. And she just looked at me like, I'll never forget, like her baby sliding out. They hold that baby. They place baby on her chest and she's doing the grasping her baby to her and, you know, happy crying and looking at her husband and looking at her baby. And she looked at me, she said, I really did it. Oh. She's like, I didn't think I was going to. And I did. And I said, yeah, you did. You know, it was just it was oh. just really sweet, you know, like just her joy, not only in how she gave birth, but her baby. And it just, when somebody sees that they can accomplish something, they weren't sure if they could, that's what I get joy from. And it really doesn't matter to me whether or not my clients pick this choice or that choice, because it's not my job to judge what choices they should pick. It's my job to help support them in the direction they ideally would like to go. And Anyway, it was just, it was just such a sweet, joyous moment. So I think that's one that's always kind of stuck out to me. Oh, I love that. I wish I was there for it because that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, but also I bet after obviously recovery and healing, she probably went into every CrossFit workout after that and was just like, I got this. I got this. I, I birthed the baby. <laughs> this is nothing. I, right? I mean, I feel like a lot of women can feel like no matter how they birth their babies, I made it through pregnancy and birthed a baby. I can do a lot. I can do a lot. <laughs> yeah. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she was good about waiting an appropriate amount of time before she started getting into the heavier aspect of CrossFit. But that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, I, uh, I know it's probably hard to pick even one story because there's probably so many that you're like, Oh, and then this happened and then this birth. And it's just yeah, it's so, cool. so many <laughs> amazing, amazing job that you have. It's obviously not all the joyous moments. There's probably a lot of struggles, yeah. a lot of late nights and early mornings and a lot of definitely. I look way better for those of your listeners who get to see this video. <laughs> I look way better right now than most of my clients ever see me because when they call me, it's usually the middle of the night or even if it's not, maybe by the time I've been with them, we've been up all night together. So <laughs> It's usually a lot less nice. Like days. when you hire me, you're going to get the real me all <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. in my pajamas my hair in a bun like yeah running out the door, <laughs> running out the door. I'm coming <laughs> yes I'll be there I love that that's what I would want though I'd want to know like my doula's not going to be like you know curling her eyelashes I'm coming I'll be there in a minute I want that like dashing out the door I've got my bag hair in a yeah. bun you're gonna be there that's what's important so yeah wow okay um so many questions I want to ask you. So many questions, so many topics. And for those of you that are listening, know that this is one of those passion topics. We're both extremely passionate about it and from multiple aspects and multiple ways. Um, there's many facets to birth and postpartum. Um, and we could talk about each of them extensively and at length. So I will just go ahead and let you guys go know now that we're going to do a little bit more of an overview today on postpartum and postpartum life. And then I will open that up for you guys to submit questions and other topics that you would like I mean, uh, Melissa to cover in more depth. And I have, I'm so sorry, I literally almost called you an Amanda because we have Amanda. <laughs> 
um, that I'm from the same generation. Too, so. I have to be Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa's Amanda's Christie's. There are a lot of us. There's so, many. There's so <laughs> many. There's a beautiful, beautiful amount of birth collective people and just birth professionals in the Augusta area that are very passionate and they're amazing, but I do want to not keep calling you a different name because <laughs> I'm looking at all these things and I'm like, ah, um, so yes, Melissa is here and that's why we want her to hear, here to hear, she's here so we can hear, there we go. Um, we're going to talk about preparing for postpartum life and some uh, questions about postpartum today. Uh, so to get us started, why is preparing for postpartum important? Because I think a lot of people spend a, a lot of time and we're, we find out, we're expecting, we go into that process of everything from freaking out to excitement to registering for a birth registry to the birth plan and yeah. how do I want to give birth and are we going to cloth diaper or not cloth diaper? Are we going to yeah. that? All those things. And then there's this whole thing called postpartum that we get to. and I don't know, in your experience, is that something that people spend a lot of time really thinking about and planning for? Like what happens after birth? Um, and why is that important to plan for that? Yes, that is such a huge, important question. Um, and my short answer to that is no, I don't feel like enough people prepare for it well. I feel like probably 80 to 85% statistic made up by me uh, of people don't even truly think about postpartum as something to plan and prepare for. Yeah. I think the birth looms in people's minds so much, especially for a first time mom, you know, when it's like the veil that hasn't been lifted, what's it going to be like? You can read up on it all you want. You can watch videos all you want, but you're still thinking, what's it really going to be like when I give birth? You know what I mean? And I think, um, because I feel like in America, there's honestly a lot of fear around birth culture. Mm -hmm. And so because people are so afraid of birth, I think that fear has actually become a motivator for people to prepare for birth, take childbirth classes, you know, find out how to exercise well during pregnancy, um, hire a doula, you know, which I'm very glad people are doing all these things. Um, that helps, you know, me work too. So those are all important and good things to do. However, I do see people spending the majority of their time preparing for birth and getting the nursery ready and not spending much time learning about what does that recovery process for mom look like after birth? Birth is a major event on the body, mm -hmm. no matter which way you give birth. Even a textbook perfect birth is a major event for the body. Um, what does it look like to have a newborn who's incredibly needy 24 seven around the clock, who doesn't understand that you would really like to sleep in more than two hour chunks, um, <laughs> you know, um, and then as if that weren't enough, you put exhaustion and a hormone cocktail and all of those things together. And suddenly you're in a storm that can feel pretty huge if you haven't prepared for it well. And even if you have prepared for it well, it can still feel like a storm. I'm not going to lie. Anybody and everybody is going to feel those postpartum hormones crash and maybe going to feel like you're leaking all over the place if you're breastfeeding and just trying to figure out how to juggle things, you know. But at least if you've prepared for it well, you can reduce some of the stress that you might have otherwise encountered or know where your support is. So I do feel like most women will say something about their experience of postpartum hitting them like a ton of bricks. I know that my own postpartum experience with both of my children, each of those hit me like a ton of bricks in a different way. Um, and the second time I thought through how to prepare for it a lot more than the first time, um, but I know so many women who feel isolated by that time in life, who feel completely overwhelmed and online in all the different accounts I tend to follow from my Strong Birth Journeys account, um, I see so many people saying, no one ever told me it was going to be like X, Y, Z, to which I think, well, 
actually, I think there is a lot of discussion about it. So let's get ourselves prepared for that before you find yourself in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's like, thank you so much for sharing that because I think uh, working just from the fitness side, just from the fitness and then like a little bit of the the wellness side and, and coaching, um, pre- for most healthy, uh, non-high-risk pregnancies, prenatal fitness really isn't that complicated. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few contraindications. There's a few things to consider. But mostly, it's really not that complicated. Postpartum is a completely different story, um, mm-hmm. just from the fitness side. And that's just, I spend so much more time going, okay, well, prenatal, we can do this and this. And as long as we check with these things and check these boxes and check in, we're good. Postpartum, I'm like, no, I need to see you live. We have to do assessments. I have to check with this. What about this? Mm-hmm. In this situation, does this exercise affect it? But this one does it. Can we decrease the weight here? There's so much more to yeah. postpartum than there is to even yeah. most prenatal cases. And so, yeah. I mean, you're speaking about the the entirety of it, the whole picture, not yeah even that one aspect and I can even say like yes postpartum is a way more um involved I think than yeah really hugely hugely mind and body both and one thing that I love to remind women this really plays into what you're talking about from the fitness side because most type a women are gonna be like raring to go right like I feel like I'm not being productive enough I need to do this I need to do that my house my work like we're not used to resting for long periods of time and like only taking care of like our physical needs and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of what you really need to do for at least two weeks postpartum, ideally 30 days, but at least two weeks. And then especially the exercise thing for women who are, um, really get a lot of joy out of their fitness program. I think it's hardest for them to have to wait to reintroduce certain types of exercise. And I see people, you know, three, four days after birth, like trying to bounce up and do a lot of stuff around the house. And I try to remind people, look, your placenta, by the time you gave birth, your placenta was the size of a large paper plate diameter. That large paper plate was attached to your uterus. That entire area is an open wound Mm. that has to recover. And even if you feel good, even if your energy is okay for having a newborn and all of that, even if your birth went well and you're like, I'm doing pretty good, take it slower than you think you could handle because your body has a lot to do with like, you know, you lost blood, you lost a lot of blood. Let your body take time to recover all of that stuff, you know, rebuild up your stores, um, give those abdominal muscles a minute, you know, (laughs) Um, just your body did a big work. Be nice to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, have you seen that? Have you seen a shift at all in, in the, the thought processes around birth and postpartum and the experience that that is for the body? Because I don't, I can't think of any other visible, more visible wound um, where someone's undergone something honestly quite traumatic from a, a, a minimum physical aspect and gone, Oh, you just need to pop right back up and get mm-hmm. to it. And six, I mean, we have like this understanding of what the healing takes. I mean, it's still challenging, especially if you're a type A person to have to wait, but we yeah. understand other types of things going on in the body and that process, even like a bone that breaks, we know it has to go through all these different stages. Why is it, do you think that postpartum seems to be this, this concept that's so hard to grasp that we need that much time to recover, that there is that open wound there. And have you seen any sort of shift in that kind of mentality around postpartum in, in, I guess, in your five years as working as a doula? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to say that's a yes and no answer. I think the shift is starting to come from the individual standpoint where individual moms are recognizing, hey, postpartum's a big deal, especially once they've had at least one baby and they've gone through that postpartum period and they're like, whoa. I mean, you don't ever forget that. Um, So I feel like from the individual standpoint, people are starting to normalize it more by talking about it in mommy groups, in their accounts on social media, wherever the case may be. 
we even have entire accounts that are really well known called take back postpartum, you know, that, um, are just trying to normalize, Hey, your body goes through all these different things. You don't have to look like a model five days after you give birth. You know, um, you don't have to prove you're superwoman two weeks after you give birth, just because somebody else is out and doing everything doesn't mean it's healthy for you. It doesn't even necessarily mean it was healthy for them. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Right. Um, <laughs> but where I think the disconnect is, is, um, we don't have enough workarounds in place for working women. Mm. And that's where the huge disconnect is. The fact that America is the only developed country in the world without mandatory maternity leave, pretty big deal. Um, the fact that many people, um, okay, out of the people who can get some sort of postpartum leave, whether they actually had maternity leave that their company allows for or whether they um, just took leave at reduced pay, use their FMLA, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. The majority of my clients can only get six, maybe eight weeks. Wow. But there's a pretty hefty percentage of women in the States whose work is not one that would allow for even that if they were part-time workers, if they don't have those kind of benefits, where any leave that they take at all is just leave without pay. And it becomes a question of how long can their family afford for them to have leave without pay at all. Right. Okay. Um, I feel like the more fortunate ones that I work with are able to get up to 12 weeks, but they are definitely in the more fortunate category. And as in even having that as an option at all. And they're still usually, you know, it's reduced pay or maybe some of those weeks are without pay, but because they had some weeks with pay, then they decide they'll just tack on a few, you know, um, it just depends. But there aren't a lot of companies that really care for um, mothers who just gave birth well that way. So I think that is one of the biggest effects on postpartum care. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And then that doesn't even bring into question um, a paternity leave at all, because exactly at that point, then maybe mom is home, but for a little bit, but she is also still by herself, um, you know, trying to take care of whoever (laughs) at that point. Right. And if you've got multiple children, then your hands are really full. So that's where those who are able to have family help, whether they have extended family nearby or whether a grandma flies in from another town or whatever to help for a while that can be helpful but again not everybody has that um i'm seeing more dads take one to two weeks off work now uh which is great because those are the hardest um two weeks and in some cases their work actually allows a little bit of paternity leave in other cases they're just saving up vacation hours and then cashing in but then it means your vacation hours are gone right for the rest of the year you know Um, so there's just, there's just a lot of variety. Uh, the military is making some good strides forward. The Navy has done some good work in increasing maternity and paternity leave. Mm -hmm. Um, see the air force doing some good stuff there. The army starting to follow suit. Uh, so, uh, that's actually nice for military families. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty huge issue. And so, I feel like that's one of the reasons why more than ever we really need to think through and prepare for postpartum, you know, and have those kind of conversations ahead of time with your employer, finding out what the options are, how can you work things, you know, thinking through your family budget and thinking, okay, if we can, where can we be saving now so that if I have reduced pay later, we can still make it work. You know, um, because it's such a huge, huge event on the body and the mind. And I can't imagine having to go back to work two weeks after giving birth to a baby. I, I can't, I mean, I haven't had a kid yet, so I'm just trying to imagine yeah. all of this. And I'm trying to imagine going through that, especially for the first time, but anytime, because every birth is different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if you had 20 children, every birth would be different. Um, but then having to just snap back and in, in like a yeah. 
like that is insane. Yeah. You barely know your name at that point. You're so exhausted. You're still (laughs) probably, you're still probably bleeding to a certain extent. I mean, and so many of our postpartum complications that moms experience, whether it's postpartum depression and anxiety or whether it's, um, physical issues uh, like the bleeding lasting too long or some women even experience different types of prolapses or anything like that or um, our breastfeeding rates are very low for a developed country. I think that has a lot to do with when moms have to go back to work and not being able to get their supply established and regulated before they go back and it's just very difficult even if you're pumping it's just difficult to keep it at the same level it was prior to that. so yeah, there's just a lot at play there. There is a lot. So, a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. So there um, are things outside of people's control, but there are some things that can be within our control. And that's where I try to encourage people, plan for what you can, you know, and roll with what you can't fully control. So when you're, you're talking about planning and preparing for what you can and can't control, and there's something I, I work with my clients with, it's called the sphere of control. And it's like, what I'm actually responsible for, what I have a little bit of influence over, and then what I have no influence over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that is kind of a similar exercise that you probably work with. Maybe not the actual diagram, mm-hmm. but kind of with your clients. Um, you're talking about preparing, and you've mentioned several things. If there were, I guess, maybe like a, a five, three to five step process to even start getting started to prepare for postpartum, you've talked about discussing leave options and pay options with employers. Um, and then you've also discussed, you know, saving, budgeting, discussing that as a family, and I guess reaching out to other, what your support network is going to be for afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those sound like three really important, like starting points for that. But beyond yes. that, is there some sort of process or step-by-step that you would take your clients through to start preparing for postpartum? Like beyond that, like, is there needles, um, you know, mm-hmm. like, having someone on standby, like knowing what's normal, what's not normal as far as bleeding. I mean, this whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're touching on all of that. So there's several major areas where I encourage people to really kind of like think through what's coming up. And, um, here, here's a few of those areas. Um, one of those areas has to do with, uh, newborn care, especially if this is your first child, learn about it. I'm amazed by how many people don't learn about what typical newborn behavior and care looks like. And especially for those of us who maybe babysat a lot when we were younger, we think I've been around kids a lot. I've changed a lot of diapers. I've given bottles. Like I can do this. It is different. (laughs) Your own child 24 seven is a lot different than babysitting someone's child for a few hours at a time. Um, So learn about baby sleep at different stages because it changes and especially be prepared for what is considered normal infant sleep in the first six weeks. A lot of parents seem totally stunned by the fact that their baby doesn't want to sleep more than two hours at a time. I'm like, that's normal for now. For now, it'll change, but for now that's actually normal. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Learn how to help your infant get to sleep. Okay. You, you can't force young, young babies to into an exact sleep schedule, but we can learn good sleep routines and sleep habits. So whether that means reading a book on infant sleep or talking to a sleep consultant and maybe having an, an initial consultation where they just talk about what sleep looks like for the first two months, you know, um, what typical baby feeding expectations are, whether you're breastfeeding or planning to bottle feed, or maybe you're gonna do a mixture of both. Um, Know what's typical, how often they eat, if you're bottle feeding, especially how much to give at a time. If you're gonna be pumping, definitely check out, you know, a book on, or a podcast or something about pumping for working women. Um, I I encourage all my clients who plan to breastfeed to take a breastfeeding class while they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because it just sets them up with basic expectations of what's normal, what's not, when you need help, how to troubleshoot. Um, and just standard newborn care, you know, and, and a lot of pediatricians offices now will give new parents kind of like a booklet that's like, call us if this happens. If these other things are going on, fairly normal. Here's what you can try first kind of thing, which for every worried new parent, I think is great. 
Um, so th those are some things I would say to think through. Also, if you have super strong feelings about any of the hot button topics related to babies, you know, and things that go in your body, do your research now and learn what your options might be based on what your convictions are. Um, okay, mama care, we touched on that. Uh, knowing what all goes into good physical healing for moms and how long the physical healing really takes, like how long it really takes for your body to recover from that blood loss and to sort of um, rebuild in that place where the placenta came off. And like, you know, if you had any kind of tearing or anything, no, it takes a little longer to um, just feel better. So and for people who are really eager to get back into fitness, kind of know some expectations about what you can do when. Um, nutrition is huge and is never, ever, ever touched on in a medical office mm -hmm. for moms, whether that's prenatal or postpartum. And right. that's the absolute biggest way you can take care of yourself in both of those stages. But postpartum in particular, you need really great nutrition for really excellent healing, helping your body replenish stores that it needs, helping your energy just keep up helping all those hormone balancing things. And that's why we see different cultures around the world have their traditional postpartum dishes they make for mothers. And if you research into those dishes, a lot of times they contain really key ingredients. Um, so there are actually some really great books out there on healing postpartum nutrition. I encourage people like, look through that ahead of time. Maybe start stocking your freezer with some of the stuff that can be made ahead of time. Maybe save your favorite recipes in a place. And if you're going to have family over helping you, just have the list of recipes on the fridge and maybe they can even help you make some meals. You know, like, um, I'm not saying... I'm not going to judge anybody who, you know, wanted five Oreos while they were breastfeeding their baby. I mean, I'm like, I, I did too, you know, but just make sure you are getting that really good food in for yourself. Cause it's going to help you recover faster. It's going to help you feel better. And if you also have other children, you're now chasing around while taking care of a newborn, <laughs> you need that. Um, and then mental wellness. Um, and this is one where I talk to people, if there's a partner in the picture, dad, spouse, whatever, um, I say it's really important that partners know the signs of postpartum depression and anxiety as well as the mom, because sometimes the partner is the one who recognizes it first. Sometimes the mom is so in the thick of it, she doesn't realize it's becoming more than just a tired, worried new mom. And so spouse, dad, partner, whomever can be super helpful with that. So knowing the signs of those um, and just keeping the lines of communication really open with each other. Um, and there are some really good resources online for like quick checklists of like, you know, what postpartum depression starts to look like. Um, and along the idea of support, like keeping that relationship alive, you know, the person you have this baby with, like, um, that's a hard time on a relationship, honestly. The newborn period, you're both tired, exhausted, you're trying to juggle extra things. Um, so I talk to people about just having grace for each other during that time, um, trying not to make any big life decisions during that time, if you can avoid it. I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable, like you have to move in a certain time period or whatever. But as much as possible, try not to deep dive into big, big, heavy convos until... <laughs> a little past that initial period, you sleep in a little bit more, you know, just do the best you can to let certain things roll with each other because both people can get a little snappy. And I really encourage my clients now, something I started doing recently is I encourage my clients to see a couple's therapist um, prior to birth. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if you have an awesome marriage, like even if it's just like, one or two checkpoint appointments where it's like, hey, we're about to have a baby. And, you know, we just want to make sure we're communicating well with each other through that time period. And sometimes, sometimes each member of the couple might have unspoken expectations of what having a baby is going to look like mm -hmm. that they haven't voiced to each other because they might not have even really realized those expectations were there. So it's important to kind of like get that out in the open. And especially if your relationship is maybe not in the most awesome of places, 
even more important to see that couples therapist before the baby arrives because there's so many complicated communication issues that come up around a baby, whether it's um, parenting choices for your child, you know, initial decisions that you make, how you're going to approach feeding and sleep training and splitting up with the household chores and handling each other's families and all of that different kind of stuff. Um, those are things that can, I have seen more people just really, um, really hit the rocks with each other over that kind of thing. So the more you can talk about beforehand, the better, and especially the family coming to visit thing. If you know that you're going to be expecting that family come visit postpartum, whether they just come for a day and say, Hey, or whether they live close enough to be in and out all the time, or if a mother-in-law or a mother is going to be coming and staying for two weeks to help with the baby, mm -hmm. that can add a different dynamic into the household. So right. Just make you ha sure you have some real honest conversations with each other about what you are and aren't okay with and what that looks like. Um, and then kind of like one of the final areas that I suggest people talk about is, um, yeah, again, divvying up household chores and just daily life stuff. Like a lot of times, especially when you don't have children in the picture, you can just kind of roll with it. And when it's your first child in particular, it can really throw the dynamic of who's doing what and how often. And so I encourage people for babies born, just sit down and write down all the stuff that really needs to happen in the house every day. Like there's some things that you're just going to say, okay, we're just gonna let it go for a while. There are other things that actually really need to happen and just kind of note, okay, seems like I typically do this. You typically do that. Okay, cool. Is that sustainable? when mom is recovering from birth. If not, then you got to find a way to simplify. Does it mean you don't want to do as many dishes, paper plates, and, you know, plastic or bamboo cutlery, you know, like there's no shame in that for a while. Does it mean that you're going to ask friends and family for gift cards to your favorite restaurants so you don't have to cook as much or to do a meal train for you? Does it mean it's in your budget to hire someone to come clean your house once a week for four to six weeks? To scrub the toilets and do the floors just to like take that off the plate. You know what I mean? And that's going to look different for every family, but those are things that are really worth considering. And I always like to put the plug for postpartum doulas can help with all of that. Like a postpartum doula can be there to help you with like making sure feedings are going well with your baby and learning how to feed your baby and help with different baby care questions. And you need that person who will throw in a load of laundry while they're there and put away the dishes from the dishwasher and start heating up the crock pot meal for dinner or whatever the case is, or, you know, pick up things from the store while you're feeding the baby, or just keep the older siblings entertained so that you can feed the baby and take a nap. Like whatever the case may be, especially if you don't have family members nearby to help, like that's where the role of the postpartum doula really comes in to kind of just help life be a little smoother and add some extra support until you're a little further past the birth. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually, we had a discussion the other day and you had a great suggestion. Um, and it could be for not first time parents, but it also could be for first time parents. The more I thought about it later, because um, especially with, uh, one of the questions that we were going to talk about is how can families and partners and spouses be supportive of mom um, during that postpartum mm -hmm. time. And there's multiple ways you've already discussed, but even just during thinking ahead during this planning part mentioned instead of in lieu of like clothes or diapers or something like that for a shower, um, putting aside like a gift card or a gift certificate for someone like a postpartum doula for a house cleaner or, yeah. or putting it to a fund and say, Hey, this is so somebody can come clean your house. Um, if someone knows that person really well and wants to take that a step further, even possibly even scheduling that and saying, Hey, in, you know, four weeks, from now, somebody's going to come and they're going to deep clean your house and it's going to be fine. Don't even think yeah. about it when you get home. Um, I think one of the best things I've heard of somebody doing was actually they went in, they were able to do that. They had, they set it up with the, I think the husband ahead of time and they communicated with him about when they were coming home uh, from the hospital and they had gone home and they had like just freshened up everything. And they put, dinner, I think in the, either in the crock pot or the oven and they just, they yeah. had things nice like they didn't deep clean but yeah. they kind of set it up for them and I just thought that was such a beautiful expression of love for them because yes. it was, they came home instead of like 
maybe they left the house in a hurry and like stuff was around and the dishes didn't get done because they rushed off to the hospital, you know, obviously in labor and they came home and like the dishes were put away and dinner was cooking and it was just a nice homey thing to come home to. So it wasn't stressful. And I like, that's such a beautiful yeah. thing too. Um, Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. I love the suggestions because I personally, I will go scour thrift stores and save money um mm -hmm. on clothes to have someone yeah. clean the house. And there's so many things that can be bought used, you know. I mean, yeah, certain things you really need to get new, but you know, there are ways to save on the baby items that you're only going to use for a certain period of time in order to have the things that are just really going to make your life better. And let's face it, a lot of the stuff that's given in baby showers, some of it's never going to get used, you know. So doing those practical things can be a game changer for people. And especially with people who are going to have family members come to visit. I like to say, here's some guidelines you need to think through in setting up expectations for your family members coming to visit. If they can't come with the expectation to do something helpful and they're the type of people who need to be waited on, who aren't going to offer to serve and help, it's, it's not the time for them to come visit. Right. They need you know, to come later, like after it, you've recovered and they can. Just yeah. If, yeah. If you're going to come, you need to come with the mentality of it doesn't matter how good mom looks like she's doing that day. There's something that could be done to help her. So whether that means you give funds towards the house cleaner, whether it means you bring a meal in hand, whether it means that you do something while you're at the house, like the, the least helpful thing anybody can do in visiting someone who's just had a baby is just come and hold the baby. I found when I was postpartum with our first child, I felt like I, there were days where I hardly got to hold my own baby mm. because people would want to come, whether, you know, it's not necessarily just family, anybody, people want to come and see the baby and hold the baby. And then you go somewhere and the baby gets passed around and it's like, well, I'd like to hold and bond with my baby when he's not just feeding. <laughs> Right. You know, and it's right. important for moms to hold their baby when they're not just feeding either. It's important for moms to get that opportunity and babies. There's so much bonding that happens in those first early weeks. Like mom should be the primary person holding baby. And then the next person holding the baby is, is dad, but everybody else should be a much smaller percentage of right. holding baby. Cause that's just what needs to happen in that yeah. time. I, I think in some of my like studies, we actually had discussed like there's a certain window of time when where if you're coming over you're coming over from from mom and and dad or you know mom and and whoever yeah. their their partner is um not the baby like you're, yeah. you're you can come later for the baby but after yeah. that recovery kind of time and that bonding and that and that reset and that once they have energy again and they've slept and they have like if anything, come and show up and do something so like they can go and take a nap. Maybe that's when absolutely you know, bonding with baby a little bit, but mostly mm -hmm. you're showing up for them, not exactly to see the baby until later because that's that's what they need right now. Um, yeah, I love that. so like one of the most important questions that I ask a lot of my clients, especially when something's going on that maybe I can't necessarily help them with or they haven't told me exactly what they're expecting from me yet. And mm -hmm. that is, what do you need from me right now? And it's showing mm, that's up. That's good. Yeah. Just, you know, do you need me to hold the baby so you can go take a nap? Or do you want to bond with the baby and I'll go and mm -hmm. take care of, like you said, mm -hmm. the dishes or putting dinner in the crock pot or maybe lifting something heavy and moving it out of the way because mom can't yeah. do that sitting in the living room, like whatever. Um, she has older kids, take them out, take them right? out of the house, <laughs> take, take them, them to the park, get them out. <laughs> you know, just bring some quiet to the household. <laughs> like, I'm going to take the kids to the park. We'll be back in an hour. Y'all chill. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. That's, that's great. So is there anything that you wish in your personal journey with two kids that you wish you had done differently postpartum that um, maybe if you were to come across a mom and you're like, and like, mm -hmm. they ask you that question, um, what would you tell them? I mean, I would definitely take my own advice and I would hire the person to do the house cleaning the second I had the positive pregnancy test. Uh, <laughs> right then. You need to set this time aside on your calendar, okay? Be in touch about your first day. Um, I, I know that was a pretty big source of frustration to me to feel like I needed to keep up on the house in the midst of everything else going on. 
Um, so that would be the first thing I would do. Um, I'd probably do a better job of getting more meals in the freezer. Um, and I would definitely want to treat myself. I shouldn't say treat because I don't like to make it sound like a treat. I would want a postpartum doula. <laughs> yeah. I, I would want somebody checking in after all those times. Like my husband is a great man and was as helpful as he could be. But you know, at some point there's only so much of you to go around. And at some point he had to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and I just did not get enough rest in that postpartum period partially because you know a baby who wakes up around the clock is going to get you up and and I tried to do the best I could to just stay in my bed a lot and kind of take it easy for the first couple of weeks but but I think because I felt the pressure to do a lot to keep the household running um I, I think I definitely fell in that category of trying to do too much too soon so I did a little bit better with it the second time around, <laughs> but yeah. Learned that. some last time, so maybe I don't do that again this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, well, this has been a great discussion. Obviously, there are so many aspects of this we could dive deep dive into a lot more, um, but this has been a great thought-provoking, just getting started thinking about postpartum and starting that discussion, starting that planning which I think was your goal. Um, yeah. so, uh, you guys feel free to submit questions and other topics that you would like her to deep dive in. I'm going to bring her back to talk about some other things. We could talk about this for days and days. Uh, but for today, is there a piece of actionable advice you'd like to leave with our listeners from our discussion today? Yes, absolutely. Do all the things we talked about <laughs> in the <laughs> podcast. Um, definitely make make a plan, make a postpartum plan. Just like you make a birth plan, make a postpartum plan. Sit down with your spouse, your partner, whomever, make that plan. Um, make an appointment to see a pelvic floor therapist. Yes. Before the baby's even born. Make that appointment, get it on the books. And then finally, a book that I love, 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 and I think everybody should check out. It's called The Fourth Trimester. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it just prepares you for the mindset shift to think about what the three months after you have your baby are going to be like. So I highly recommend everybody get and read that book, The Fourth Trimester. There's another one called, it's a long title, Pregnancy, Birth, and the Newborn. And it's a thick book because it covers all that stuff, but it's all extremely practical, practical, <laughs> practical. It's all stuff that if you're a lay person with no medical background, you're going to be able to understand lots of pictures and diagrams and whatever stage you find yourself in, um, just pick the part of the book that applies at the moment. But the section on the newborn and newborn care, and postpartum care for mama is probably the most practically detailed mm -hmm. of any of those kind of combo books that I've ever seen. Um, and it was written by people who are uh, physical therapists and doulas and pediatricians. It was a combo effort. And I just feel like every new parent should have that as one of their, ah, grab it off the shelf and thumb through kind of things. Love it. That's so great. Uh, and then the other thing I think both of us are really passionate about too, um, is to know like what your resources are and in your community, like what's available to you and who's available and connect with those people. And if you don't know, ask, like, even if you just start with your OBGYN or you hop onto like a mom's group on Facebook and stuff and start reaching out because there are resources in our local community, but for listeners that are around, whether it's the country or the globe, um, there's almost always some available resources to help support you. Uh, like I know yeah. Leche, I think is international. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so that's a there. good place to start. So yeah, <laughs> nothing else. Um, is there, you mentioned making an appointment with a pelvic floor physiotherapist, which I am extremely passionate about mm -hmm. um, even before they give birth. Um, so is there another maybe less thought of uh, person that they should be looking for, for support for either birth or postpartum? Honestly, I feel like that tends to be the least thought of person that everybody should have. Right. I would actually say meeting with a holistic nutritionist is another mm -hmm. biggie that most people would not think of. But I would say 
is phenomenally important to you and your baby by proxy. Um, so I would definitely do those two things. Um, and like you were saying, even just knowing where your support groups are in the community ahead of time are really helpful when you're in the thick of things and you're feeling stressed and you're like, I need to talk to somebody, but I don't know where to turn to, you know, um, talk to your doula, whether your birth doula or your postpartum doula, or if that's one and the same person, whatever. I promise you, she knows where some of that <laughs> stuff is in your community. I promise even your OBGYN might not, but like your doula is going to know like where the good chiropractors are and massage therapists and who people like to use for like nanny care or housekeeping or breastfeeding support groups or just general mommy support groups or where the best uh thrift sales are throughout the year where everybody likes to go and stock up on baby clothes and toys you know what i mean like um we tend to be pretty connected to that area of the community so that knowing where your local community support options are ahead of time is so huge. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that because I totally agree. Public floor therapists and a holistic nutritionist are probably, those would be my highest recommendations, but in addition to having mm -hmm. a doula as a support team, because that's, it's foundational. It's so foundational mm -hmm. and so so I think I really appreciate you bringing that to light because it's incredibly important. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I did mention um, in a post recently, and maybe because you are a doula, we're going to ask, um, someone had mentioned on one of my posts that they really wish they would have seen a public floor therapist, but their insurance didn't cover it so that it just was a no-go. And I, mm. my first thought was, I think, um, first of all, I'd love for more insurance companies to... Yeah to support okay. that and to cover that. But I think there's also some other resources as far as some, it depends on where you're at, I guess, I'm sure. But do you know of any other resources if it's not an, strictly an insurance thing or other maybe ways to think outside of the box that someone might be able to fit into the plan uh, seeing a pelvic floor therapist? Yeah, obviously in-person would be more ideal because there are some internal therapies that they can do in addition to exercises and external, but things being what they are, um, there are at least two or three pelvic floor exercise programs that I've encountered through my clients actually online that are free that you can find on YouTube or Instagram that some of my clients have said they've had phenomenal success with feeling like they regained um, their pelvic floor strength, helped with diastasis recti, all that kind of thing. So I would actually need to look up those URLs or the account names just to make sure I don't say it wrong here, but I can give you that for your show notes yeah. so that people can see it in the show notes. Um, but that would be the next best thing I would say is at least find out what a, a free program online is that right. you can follow for some specific exercises. Cause a lot of women don't realize like you have a baby Maybe that postpartum mommy pooch is there and you're bummed about it, which first of all, if you're less than a year out from having a baby, like, let it go. D don't, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm not saying don't exercise, but don't be so hard on yourself. But what's the first thing they get out there and do? Pilates. Yep. Pilates is going to be extremely counterproductive if what you have is diastasis recti. So... And it doesn't actually help build up your pelvic floor in the same way that specifically designed pelvic floor exercises do, which I know you as a fitness person know this. So that's what I would say is, um, yeah, know where some of those are online and just have that so you can turn it on the TV or the computer at home and all of that. I love that. Yeah, but definitely give me, the, we'll put those in the show notes for you guys for this mm -hmm. review resources. Mm -hmm. um, and just as, I said, as she mentioned, obviously in person is great. I do know of at least one, um, and I she'll actually be on the podcast at a later episode, um, that offers virtual pelvic floor therapy, a virtual like, nice. telemed. Um, nice. so a little different than some of that internal, but there's a lot that can be done virtually. Absolutely. And something is almost always better than nothing. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, she has that. And then she has a network of people that are also now trained to do telemed pelvic therapy as well. So, um, cool. she'll be hopping on. She's based out of Atlanta. Um, but these videos and stuff just start somewhere and start earlier than you think you need to. Like, even if you are thinking, I don't even want a kid right now, I'm in my twenties, 
still go and find these these URLs and start working on pelvic floor because your pelvic floor, there's actually a lot of stats that I won't get into right now because we'll have to do that in another episode. But <laughs> um, the stats on pelvic floor issues for women that have actually not even had a child are still extremely high. And yeah. especially depending on like what type of athletics you do. And then mm -hmm. again, in perimenopause and postmenopause and as you age, it reoccurs again. So whether or not you've had a child or plan to have a child, you still need to work on pelvic floors. Just pelvic, pelvic floor. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so, it's so related to your gynecological health, mm. you know, as well as your overall health. It affects like how we can keep moving it going into, like I'm looking at middle age in the face now and I'm looking at like, yeah, if I want to stay an active mobile person, I need to start thinking of new ways to care for myself. Um, I'm also a professional singer. I don't tend to talk about that as much in the doula context because it's totally different realm. But um, pelvic floor strength and fitness has a direct correlation to my singing. And some of the areas of my technique where my teacher and I have worked on and changed over over time became extremely related to weakness in my pelvic floor. Wow. That's crazy. I love that though. Thank you for bringing that up because you are a whole woman, right? You're not just, <laughs> you're not just a mom, like you're a professional singer and, um, also, do you, you play music as well, correct? Is that, I mean, I, I play piano and I teach, um, voice lessons and child music lessons and that kind of thing. But, um, uh, singing, uh, classically is, uh, my, main forte in music her main, her forte. um but yeah it's true i mean you've got your diaphragm you've got your core and that that pulls in all together so thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that because mm -hmm. that's part yeah. of the core as a whole, <laughs> whole um so yeah again just another example of why it's so important because it affects so many areas of life even singing absolutely oh so, yeah well i thank you so much for being on here today if you had three people besides yourself um that you would want our listeners to go and follow today who who would those accounts be who would those people be right um there's an account it's actually not a huge account but i love her account so much on these are instagram accounts um the mother doctor just at the mother doctor she always has really fabulous advice from a holistic perspective for pregnant and postpartum women um, my good friend, Sally Wood, is at the breastfeeding guru on Instagram, and she's an IBCLC. Yeah, and she is awesome. She tells it like it is, but she's also the biggest cheerleader for moms. I love her so much. And I really enjoy a lot of the um, Taking Back Postpartum account for women, just for normalizing what postpartum health is like. And if you want to follow me online, yes, that was my next question. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, you can also find me um, at Strong Birth Journeys is my doula business name, and I also hang out and talk about more just general life wellness and using essential oils and other kind of crunchy living stuff at Hope underscore Infusers. Perfect, and I'll put those in the show notes as well. Her recommendations and where you can find her. Um, and then also as a shout out, we also, you can find us as part of the Augusta Birth Collective um, as, as well. Um, but yeah, definitely go and follow her at Strong Birth Journeys um, and also at Hope underscore Pusers because you guys know I actually really do love like my oils and stuff. Too. <laughs> um, we're oily together. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's, they're just really great content. And honestly, and especially in today's world, I hear a lot of my clients talk about social media stress and the negativity there, but these are all accounts that are going to mm -hmm. offer you just beautiful support, positivity, information, and the sense of support and things that really social media has the beautiful power to be uh, a place of support and information and positivity. And so go and follow these accounts and maybe unfollow some other accounts and start supporting <laughs> yourself mentally and emotionally this way. Uh, and plus they're very educational, so you can do that as well. But Melissa, you're amazing. I am so honored to have been able to get to know you better over our time together so far and also through this interview. And I can't wait to have you back hopefully soon for another in-depth discussion. Uh, you guys know, as always, you can subscribe, like, follow, share, and send any questions in that you have for future episodes to trainandflourish.co at gmail.com. And you can always find me wherever I am on social media and the interwebs. And thank you very much for being here for this episode of What in the Wellness, and we'll see you next time.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening today. If you're interested in being a sponsor or a patron of this podcast to help us develop more resources and get more exciting things out into the world about the global perspective on integrative wellness and health, please feel free to reach out via email or message. And I look forward to seeing you and the new subscribers that you're going to bring to the podcast as we go along on this journey. Thank you so much for being here and I wish you all the best and light and love as you continue throughout your day today.